Uh, let's go together in the Word of God to uh, let's see. Luke chapter 6 is where we want to go. Luke chapter 6. We'll just read just one or two verses together. Luke chapter 6. And we'll read from verse 6. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were all filled with rage and disgust with one another, what they might do to Jesus. Amen. Now all three synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this story of the man with the withered hand being healed in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. We would do no less, should do no less than the Master himself than to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. To be in the house of God. It was the custom of Jesus actually to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He loved to be there. To teach. To listen. To converse. And it ought to be a, a healthy and a spiritual habit of ours. Except there is some extenuating circumstances that really the house of God should be our first priority each and every Sunday. Now, this healing took place in the context of the scribes and the Pharisees looking for an opportunity to bring accusation against Jesus, trying to find something he would say or something he would do that they could trap him and trip him up and make accusation. So I really don't want to get into that aspect of the context of it this morning. That's not my subject. I want to talk to you about the fact that this man was healed of this withered hand. Now the fact that it says that his hand was withered, that it had shriveled up, would imply that this was not something that he was born with, but rather something that happened probably later on in his life. Maybe as a result of an accident, perhaps as a result of an illness or some disease that had, malady that had come to him. But whenever it was or however it happened, and we don't know that, what we do know is that his hand went from a functioning, functioning useful hand to an unusable, dysfunctional hand. 
It was withered. It had shriveled up. How long he had been in that condition, again, we do not know. But one thing we do know, and this is encouraging, that in spite of that, he still was in the house of God. In spite of that, he didn't allow that to interfere with his relationship to God. And too many times, Christians do the exact opposite. When something bad happens, usually church is the first thing to go to the wall. Or the relationship to God begins to come into doubt and, and their relationship to Christ begins to fragment. But not this man. Even though he had this handicap, as it were, even though his right hand was withered, but yet he didn't grow cold in his relationship with God doesn't even seem to be despondent about it, certainly wasn't critical or cynical as many Christians become. No, not this man. And so on the Sabbath day, he's found in the house of the Lord. Now, it's only Dr. Luke, out of the three writers, who note that it was his right hand. Being a medical doctor, those types of things would interest him. And I can imagine whenever he was getting perhaps even a, a first-hand eyewitness account of this particular healing from somebody so that he could write it down. I could imagine him stopping them in mid-sentence and saying, oh, by the way, which hand was it? Well, what does it matter which hand was? Well, being a medical doctor, it would matter uh, because, again, that would imply most people are right-handed, and so that would imply that this was a greater loss to this man because it was his right hand, and obviously that would have impact his whole livelihood perhaps in his whole lifestyle. So Luke here would be interested in that and he writes that down for us to see. Question. Question. Could it be that you're here this morning as it were in the synagogue in the house of God and that some part of your life has withered shriveled up. Maybe a dream that you once held to. Maybe a hope that you cherished. Maybe a calling that you walked in. Maybe a ministry that you once exercised. But right now, it's withered. And you're conscious of it. Just like this man would be always ever conscious of his right hand. And perhaps today you're conscious. It's, it's, it's in the back of your mind at least of what you used to have and what you used to be and what you used to do and what you used to hope for and what your dream was. But today it would seem that it is withered up Joseph, as a young man, had a wonderful dream. It was a God-given dream. But he was only a lad. He was only 17. He wasn't mature. He didn't handle it very well. He said to his brothers, who already hated him because his father favored him, made him that beautiful coat. So he said to his brothers, he said, I had a dream. 
And I dreamt we were all out in the field. And my sheaf of corn stood upright. And then your sheaves, they stood upright. But then they all bowed to me, to my sheaf. They didn't like that. They didn't like them to start with. They like them even less now. So they said, are we going to bow down to you? Are you going to dominate us? Are you going to rule over us? He's just a wee whippersnapper. So then I came back with another dream. He says, I've had another dream. He says, this time I saw the sun and the moon, 11 stars, all bowing down before me. Well, there's no doubt of who that was talking about. He was talking about them, his 11 brothers and his mother and his father. In fact, his mother and father, when they heard that, they were raging. Really think that we are going to bow down before you? Is that what you really think? And they hated him all the more. Now, his father didn't hate him because he favored him, but he, he wasn't pleased with him at that point. You know how his brothers, that was just the final straw, wasn't it? And how they took him out and threw him into a pit. Would have killed him except for one of the brethren said no. Threw him into a pit. Saw Ishmaelites coming along then pulled him out again. Sold him to them as a slave into Egypt. Then how he went from that pit into Potiphar's household and how Potiphar's wife lied about him. And not only did he get the sack but he got threw into prison you know, and so he went from a, from a pit to Potiphar's house to a prison. And then while he's in prison, you remember how he had those interpretation of the dreams that the king's butler and the king's baker had and how they said to the baker, you're going to lose your head and butler, you're going to get back into the household of the king and all of that happened. And he says, by the way, don't forget me. Of course, when the butler got out, he did forget about him and two years then passed. So we're now talking 20 plus years since he first had that dream 20 plus years and it seems like that that dream is long since weathered and shriveled up and died he's in prison in a foreign country choose to rape it seemed like his dream had died Remember Moses has a little baby, his mother floated him down the Nile in a little basket. Pharaoh's daughter found him, touched her heart. Moses' older sister Miriam was standing there strategically and said, would you like a Hebrew nurse to look after him for you? Yeah, that would be good. And so his mother actually took her own little son back again and weaned him for about three years and in that three years, we don't know what she said to him. We don't know the praise she prayed over his young life. But whatever it was and whatever she said and whatever she prayed had, had an enormous effect on that little baby son. So in all those years, he grew up as a prince in Pharaoh's household, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In all of those years, he never forgot his calling and his dream. God had put in his life to be the deliverer of his people. And then at 40 years old, he could wait no longer. And he tried to make it happen, didn't he? And he killed that Egyptian who was abusing his brethren. And then he had to run into Midian to save his life. So now he's in Midian for another 40 years in the backside of the desert looking after sheep. 80 years. 
and his calling and the dream of his calling looks as far away as ever it had ever been. It looked to be impossible. It could ever happen. It seemed to be it had weathered up. Remember David, how that God anointed him to be king over Israel. And how that his own treacherous son Absalom who stole the hearts of the men of Israel and caused David to flee into the wilderness with a tiny little army. They had to live in caves and in dens. He had done that before under Saul. He wanted to kill him too. And it seemed like after all of that time and after all of those years that 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 ministry, that calling, that dream that he had to be king over Israel, it seemed like it's not going to happen. His very son is against him. His very son wants to kill him. He's on the run from his own son. It seemed that that dream had weathered too. Sometimes people can, very, can pinpoint the very moment in their life when the dream, when the call, when the ministry seems to have weathered and died. Peter. He could pinpoint the very moment when it happened. There's a build-up to it. But in Luke chapter 22, at the arrest and trial of Jesus, remember what happened? Verse 54, Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed, Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are also of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. That was the moment. That was the very moment when his whole ministry, his whole calling, his whole dream withered in an instant. When Jesus looked at him and he heard the rooster crow, he knew it was over. It's finished. It's gone. It's withered. That's it. What about John on the Isle of Patmos? He's an old, old man now. All the other apostles are gone, martyred. He's the only one left. He's a living martyr. The asylum to the Isle of Patmos. He's cut off from ministry. He's cut off from the church there. He, I mean, he would be the elder statesman in the Christian church. And he's cut off from, from his friends, from fellowship, from ministry, all of it. It's cut off. He could look out 
from Patmos and see the mainland and just wonder what was going on among the church and his friends and the, and the congregations there. But he couldn't be there. That was over for him. He could pinpoint it. What about you today? Is a part of your spiritual life withered? The word withered here is zeros, which means dried up. Literally as a field or a piece of land under the blazing sun would dry up. And we know that something that's dry is unproductive, it's fruitless, it's without sap, it's without vitality. Is there some part of your life that is dry, fruitless, barren, even dormant, weathered? If that is the case this morning, I want you to take heart. Because the scriptures tell us in Romans eleven twenty nine that the gifts and the calling of God is irrevocable. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. In other words, God has put something into your life, be it a dream, be it a hope, be it a ministry, be it a calling, be it a gift. It is irrevocable. God hasn't given up on it. And if God hasn't given up on it, don't you give up on it either. Joseph, Moses, David, Peter, John, they may have felt that their ministries, that their dreams, that their hopes were all gone, washed up, weathered, and died. But thank God it hadn't happened. It seemed that way for a while. If you'd have asked them what you think, that's what they would have told you. There's no way back from this. It can't change. Even though this man in the synagogue had something working against him. But he had something in his favor. He was in church when God showed up. It's always a good place to be, isn't it? That's the people who'd rather be at the fire. Or in a caravan in front of the TV. Or going for a poke in Newcastle. Instead of being in the house of God. God shows up, but they don't show up. <laughs> I want to be in the house of God, just in case God shows up. I wouldn't like to be the one I miss when God showed up, would you? Now, I want you to notice something here today. I want you to notice what Jesus asked this man to do. Because they, these... Stories in the Bible are not just there for us to read and just say, oh, it's a nice little story. Thank God that man got healed. It's there for our admonition. It's there to help us. First thing he asked the man to do in verse 8 was he asked him to stand up. Arise and stand here. Often to reclaim something in our lives that seemingly has been lost, we have to stand up on the inside. We have to rise up in our spirit. We have to stand up in obedience. We have to believe that something can happen, that God can change it, 
that all is not lost. But it's got to start by standing up. This man stood up. Joseph had to stand up. Even though it was 20 plus years, he could have become very, very bitter and angry and despondent and even depressed. His brothers turned against him. He was lied about. He was put into jail. He didn't deserve any of that. He could have become very, very bitter indeed. But he didn't become bitter. He became better. Somebody says a problem never leaves you where it finds you. It either makes you bitter or makes you better. Depends on how you view it, what your attitude is. Moses had to stand up in the end, didn't he? Here he is, 80 years old. 40 years now he has been thinking that his ministry, that his call, that his dream is finished, it's over. He's in the backside of the desert. He's looking after sheep. He who was brought up in the palace of Pharaoh, called to be the great deliverer, But he got that burning bush experience. He had to stand up. And he had to go back to Egypt. He had to go and face Pharaoh. He wasn't very keen to do that, as you know. He made all kinds of excuses. And God gave him sign after sign after sign to show him that God would be with him. But he had to stand up. He had to stand up. David had to stand up too had to come back out of the wilderness, had to face that treacherous son, had to reclaim his rightful place on the throne of Israel. And so he had to come back from those caves and those dens, and he had to be seated on that throne. He had to stand up to do that. It wasn't easy. It took a lot of courage. But he did it. And he became the greatest king that Israel ever had. Peter had to stand up, didn't he? Absolutely convinced that his days of ministry were long gone. In fact, at one point he says, I go a fishing. He's gone back to his old trade. Whole spiritual life had dissipated. Dream was finished, it was over. No more ministry left. But he had to stand up, didn't he? He stood up on the day of Pentecost. <laughs> Different man on the day of Pentecost, wasn't he? <laughs> Full of the fire of God. <laughs> Preached such a wonderful sermon that 3,000 people got saved in one go. But he had to stand up. Jesus had to take him aside and deal with him the seashore. Remember that? Three times he asked him, do you love me? Had to stand up. Looked like John's ministry was over too in the Isle of Patmos, but he had to stand up. It wasn't over. In fact, what looked like his demise actually ushered in the greatest part of his ministry that he ever had. He got the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wrote the end of the book. This Bible just wouldn't be the same without it. So Jesus said to him, stand up. And then the second thing he said to him was, stretch out your hand. 
Stretch out your hand. Reach out, stretch out to him that part that was withered, that was unfruitful, that had dried up, that was barren, that was dry, that was useless, the weakest part of him. Jesus said, stretch it out. Doesn't seem like much to offer the master. Sure, it doesn't. The weakest part of you, the dried up part of you, the weathered part, the part that's unfruitful, that's barren. I mean, what can God do with that? That's what we think. That's how our mind works. What is the point? It's a waste of time. Why bother? It's over. What could Christ possibly do with something so wasted and so beyond repair? But Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And do you know what? In verse 10 it says these simple words, and he did so. And he did so. In spite of how he may have felt in spite of any inward thoughts he may have had about it, in spite of maybe standing there feeling, what is the point? What can happen? But he did so. And when he did it, and when he did it in obedience to the Master, look what it says in verse 10, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. as whole as the other. In a moment, in an instant of time, everything changed from that point onwards. His hand was restored as whole as the other. Is it possible that today, that that dream that you had, the hope that you cherished, the calling that you walked in, the ministry that you exercised, or whatever, is it possible that God can do something with it today? Is it possible that it can become whole again? That it can become alive in your heart again? That you feel the passion that you once felt? That you feel the longing and the desire that you once had? That the dream is as bright as it used to be? Is that possible? Can that happen? According to this story, yes, it can. This is the point of the story. Yes, the context was he was going to get at the scribes and Pharisees and show them a thing or two, but the point for us is it can happen. It can happen to you. It can happen to me today. And so he stretched out his hand and it was restored as whole as the other. Is God able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think? Is He able to do that? Is He? Then He's able to restore, isn't He? He's able to make come alive again. Let's bow our heads for a moment. I want you to close your eyes.
absolutely no point in me sharing this this morning unless I give you an opportunity to act upon it. So I'm going to ask you to do the same thing that Jesus asked the man to do. You know what it is and God knows what it is. Nobody else needs to know. But that part that is withered. You can look back on days when it was alive in you. When it thrilled you. When you're on fire with it. You're passionate about it. You walked in it, lived it, but not today. But it's still there, latent, dormant, dried up. Christ can make it come alive. So while everybody is bowed in prayer, nobody is looking. If that is you today, even if it's just one person, then I want you to do what the man in the synagogue did. I want you to stand just where you are. Just right where you are in your, at your seat. Because we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to touch you. Several people. Just give you a moment. It's between you and God. But this is an exercise of your faith and obedience. Now here's what we're going to do while you're standing. Nobody's gawping or gawking precious moment, the presence of God. I'm going to pray for you, but here's what I want you to do. Just as the way the man stretched out his hand, I I want you to physically stretch out your hand toward me. I know that your physical hand's not withered, but just as a point of contact, just as an act of your faith, I want you to stretch out your hand towards me Because in that way you're stretching out, you're you're giving that part of you, that weak part of you, that dry part of you, that part that used to be, you're giving that to the Lord. And and you're saying, Lord, I I reach this, I stretch this out to you today. And I'm going to ask you to touch it, make it whole again, make it alive again. Would you do that right now? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, We stand in your house today and we reach out that part of us that needs your divine touch. Lord, would you touch that part of my life today and make it whole. Make it alive again. 
Lord, make my dream, my vision, my calling, and the ministry, the gifts you've given me, Lord, it used to be in action. Lord, cause them to become alive in my spirit again. Lord, touch me today. I need your touch. Lord, I need your divine unction. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to touch me today and make this come alive in me again. Lord, I thank you that you are doing this even right now. You're touching me. You're making it whole again. It's beginning all over again. Lord, you're causing it, Lord, to come alive in me. And I pray, O oh God, that you'll fan the flame of my heart. And Lord, that you'll make me active for the kingdom of God. And Lord, at this part of me, Lord, that has lain for so long, Lord, will stand up again and become useful for the kingdom of God through my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the obedience, Lord, for the faith that's been exercised. Now, Lord, do it to your honor and to your glory. Let there be uh, an immediate change and let that change, Lord, be fulfilled over days and weeks and months, Lord. Let us see the fruit of it in these lives. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Amen.